0: From the National Association of Evangelicals, welcome to today's conversation. Our topic, Behind the Scenes of the Salvation Army. Host Leith Anderson, NAE President, talks with David Hudson, National Commander of the Salvation Army USA. Today's conversation is brought to you by Bellhaven University, preparing students academically and spiritually to serve Christ Jesus in their careers, in human relationships, and in the world of ideas. Located in Jackson, Mississippi, Bellhaven offers 70 areas of study, including academic majors and concentrations across a full spectrum of disciplines, as well as the new Master of Ministry Leadership program. Be a Transformational Leader. More at bellhaven.edu. And now, let's join in.
1: I'm Leith Anderson, President of the NAE, here with Commissioner David Hudson. Commissioner Hudson serves in the top role of the Salvation Army in the United States as National Commander. He has been an officer in the Salvation Army for 44 years, serving in various roles across the country. In his current role, Commissioner Hudson leads a network of over 3,500 offices, 65,000 employees, and 3.2 million volunteers serving across 7,500 centers of operation throughout the United States. And he also acts as chairman of the National Board of Trustees and is responsible for presiding over triannual commissioners conferences, which bring together the key executives of the Salvation Army's four territories in the United States. So you have a busy schedule and we are thrilled to get some moments of your time. Thank you for joining us.
2: Yeah, it's, it's a real treat uh, to be with you and to have the association with the NAE. And I look forward to having our conversation today.
1: All right, I've got lots of questions to ask you. So in some ways, people may think the Salvation Army kind of doesn't need an introduction. Mm-hmm. Um, I read once that the Salvation Army has one of the top familiarity brands of any in the United States. So Almost everyone, regardless of whatever their religious background or zip code, has heard of the Salvation Army. And many people are in a town where there's a Salvation Army store or other presents, and uh, probably even more familiar with red kettles at Christmas time. So what do you think are the top several things that people don't understand about the Salvation Army?
2: Yeah, that's that's a really good question. And, uh, you know, there's uh, there's lots of them, but maybe um, just to name a few is I think you've you've listed some things there about our size. But I think most people don't understand the footprint that the Salvation Army has, not just here in America, but around the world. We operate in more than 130 countries. Uh, We are in every zip code in the United States. And last year, we had the privilege of serving more than 24 million people uh, in the United States. So I think that's the first thing people don't understand, uh, the scope of of the Salvation Army. I think people don't recognize or realize the breadth of the services of the Salvation Army. The Army in the United States is the largest provider of no-cost alcohol, drug and alcohol treatment. Uh, We have any housing from shelters, permanent, uh, temporary shelters, all the way to permanent housing, transitional housing, permanent housing. And then we have several senior citizen housings across the United States. Uh, Last summer, uh, we were fortunate to serve over a quarter of a million children in our summer camping programs around the United States, and we served more than 50 million meals. Um, So I don't think people understand the breadth. I don't, not everybody, a lot of people do know, but one of the uh, core services of the Salvation Army uh, is our emergency disaster services, or we affectionately just refer to it as EDS. And we often tell people that when a disaster happens, we're the first in and the last to leave. And the reason that is is because we're already in every zip code in the United States. So we're already there. And then we're not going anywhere uh, when, when uh, you know disaster is over. But I think one thing that people may not realize is by policy, every dollar that's designated to a specific disaster, stays in that community. And we don't take it uh, to kind of uh, seed the, the kitty for the next disaster. Just We just trust God and the community that they'll step up for the next one to come along. Uh, I think that uh, many people don't realize, and I, and I do hear that the Salvation Army knows how to stretch a dollar, but our high efficiency rating for over the last ten years and longer, we've had an efficiency rating of about 83 percent. Literally meaning 83 cents out of every dollar that's donated for for a program goes uh, to uh, that program. And um, and I think that uh, yeah, many people don't understand what an officer is, and I think we may get into that in a little while. But you know, we are we are a church and officers or ordained ministers uh, of, of the church, uh, of the Salvation Army. So there's all a the, few things that are just top of mind.
1: Well, all this represents amazing breadth and depth. But let's go back to the beginning. So um, okay. how did the Salvation Army first get started? Well,
2: uh, William Booth was an itinerant um, Methodist minister, and he was in great demand uh, uh, you know, for the church and in the pulpit but he had a burning desire uh, to serve the poor. He thought that the poor in the east side of London was uh, was being neglected, not just by uh, the, the wealthy, but also by the church at large. And so he felt that he should be an evangelist uh, to the poor. And so uh, he and his wife left uh, the church and they took over leadership of a small Christian mission And as the general secretary, and before long, uh, it began to evolve and expand, took on through a series of events, took on the name of the Salvation army in that eastern uh, side of London, but has, has grown across the world. Got really into social service ministries because William Booth really quickly realized you couldn't talk to somebody about their soul if they were hungry, or they were dirty, or they were homeless that you had to meet their physical needs. And in meeting their physical needs, they were more apt to listen, uh, more they were better able to listen and more willing to listen. And it almost gave him credibility uh, to speak into their life about e- eternal things. So from that beginning back in around 1865 to today, the Salvation Army has grown, as I said, to now serving in uh, north of 130 countries.
1: All right, so back to William Booth. Is he the one that thought up the red kettles?
2: No. No, the red kettles actually started in San Francisco. San Francisco back in the uh late eighteen eighties uh was uh, in the early, early days of the army in the United States. Uh they wanted to uh do a a dinner and and the guy that was in charge of the Salvation Army, he thought, you know, I need to raise some money for this. And so we went on to the San Francisco pier and he had this big pot and, uh, and the pot said over it, keep keep the pot boiling, you know, put money in the pot. And from that, you know, money was raised in order to, you know, serve the dinner. And that's how the kettle has started. And today, you know, the kettle represents uh, not only across the United States, but it's been replicated in various parts of the world. And every year, uh, Thanksgiving Day uh, at the Dallas Cowboy game, halftime, we kick off the uh, Red red Kettle campaign for the next year. And we look forward to doing that in a couple of months. And every Salvation Army person on that day is a Dallas Cowboy fan.
1: (laughs) All right, so I'm supposed to be asking the questions and you answering them, but I've got to tell you something. When I was pastor a long time in, um, in Minnesota, I got thinking about the red kettle and thought, where are the generous people that we really would give to this? And I decided that they were at church and that what we should do is have kettles at all the entrances for all of the services from Saturday night all the way through Sunday. When thousands of people are coming and have church people out there standing with the kettles, and I thought, how is anybody going to resist this? Had to get special permission from the army because it was on a Sunday, and did it year after yeah. year after year, and raised whoa a lot of money for the Salvation Army. So I don't know if that's still possible, but churches are okay. I'm supposed to be asking the question. Yeah, you, you've been around. Yeah. Since well, the we'll I'm
2: sure it'll be a deal. Yeah, a, yeah. And just the interesting been- this year. This year, we are doing something new across the country. Last year, we did it in a couple test markets. Uh, but this year, we have kettle pay. And people will have the ability to donate to the Salvation Army at every kettle location on their smartphones. Uh, and they'll be able to go to their Apple wallet and just make a donation. And I think it's uh, the options are like 5 10 or $20 or something like that. So it's a it's a new feature, and the kettle uh, continues to evolve.
1: All right. Maybe you've just answered my next question, and that is what, what kind of changes have taken place since 1865, and you know, how has the Salvation Army adapted, changed with the times to stay relevant? So, my guess is that William Booth did not have a smartphone, and he would have <laughs> no idea uh, what you just talked about. So, how has that happened to say, uh, to stay so strong for so long?
2: Yeah, you know, people people ask me that all the time. I've had people ask me, you know, how the Salvation Army existed when so many other organizations have come and gone, and certainly people with as bright or brighter leadership than the Salvation Army. And after 44 years, I think the answer is a pretty simple one. I, I really believe more strongly today in the mission of the Salvation Army than I, than I um have ever and I've always believed in it, and uh, it simply is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and to meet human need in His name without discrimination. And the gospel is tremendously relevant. Um, the gospel, when you think about it, and people, you know, a lot of, and not so much your listeners, but a lot of people, when they think of preaching, they think of you know standing behind a pulpit and and giving a sermon. But preaching is about redemption, and it's about restoration, and it's about rebuilding lives. It's about receiving and giving grace. And, and that fl- flows right over to meeting human need. And when you see people in the greatest of needs, that is an incredible motivator. Uh, I've just got off the road this last few weeks on um, kind of a, a multi-city stop, you know, focusing on homelessness. And I've heard story after story after story of people whose lives have been changed by God's grace through the ministry of the Salvation Army. Well, I tell you, I listen to that, and, and I am more motivated than ever. And so we have to keep relevant on, on those things and make sure that we are exploring, always trying new things, not afraid to fail. But also, uh, I think the strength of the Army is that we are locally based. And so the programs I'm currently in um, Milwaukee, the programs here in Milwaukee have been designed for the needs in Milwaukee. Uh, In Minneapolis, the Army has designed programs to meet the needs there and in Seattle or Dallas. And so I think that keeps us relevant and up to date. And when something works in one place, other cities are very quick uh, to pick that up. And then we have our advisory board structure, uh, this men and women business leaders around the country that come together and offer us uh, direction and advice and guidance. And these are some of the sharpest people. We recently added a, a man uh, to our national board who used to be uh, in, in charge of uh, the digital technology for Walmart. Well, you know what? This guy is brilliant and he speaks into us. And when he speaks, you know, we listen and we try new things. And if it doesn't work, that's fine. We'll try something else. So I think those things. Has helped us uh, keep relevant and up to date.
1: The Salvation Army has maintained a, a strong uh, evangelical, biblical commitment and a strong commitment to the poor and to social justice uh, since the 1800s. Mm-hmm. During that time period, there was a reaction among many who are committed Christians to the social gospel, and and a lot of them, you know, sort of said that. You shouldn't be doing this and you, you just, you know, do the message, not address the, the poor and the social mm-hmm. justice issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, has that been a challenge for the Army to you know, face some of those uh, probably criticisms and disagreements and differences on this?
2: Oh, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm sure it is. It certainly has. But uh, first of all, I I articulate, articulated our mission earlier And so I I simply say our our mission demands uh, that we respond. When I look in in our true founder, you know, William Booth actually kind of got us going and everything and God used him. But I I say our true founder is Jesus himself. And when Jesus uh, was walking the earth time and time again, he uh, he met human need when he saw suffering. He went and he met that and he showed care and compassion. And the one thing that um, mar- I marvel at Jesus is uh, he never asked for pre-qualifiers before he, he healed or he served, uh, you know, that, and so he saw a need and he went. And so I think uh, Jesus being the role model of what we do, I think we have to respond to these needs. And there is nothing as powerful uh, as, uh, you know, people say, well, miracles, you know, or maybe you're in the past, we don't see the miracles like we used to or whatever. But you know what? When I go down to some of our centers and I hear the life stories of people and I see the transformation in people's lives, um, I say, you know, this is where, where we have to be. Our mission absolutely demands it. And so when I hear statistics like tonight, there will be over half a million homeless people in the United States our mission demands that we do something. When I know that there's 40 million people in the United States living in poverty, our mission demands that we do something. And when I hear that up to 40% of the teens on the streets identify themselves as the LGBTQ community, without judgment, our our mission demands that we do something. William Booth one time asked his son, uh, he came into his son, he said, do you know that there's men and women sleeping underneath the London Bridge? And his son, Branwell, said, yes, I do. And he looked at him and said, do something. And our mission demands that we do something. So if we're criticized, you know what? I'd, I'd rather be criticized for that than to be criticized for not doing anything and i'm I'm so bold that I want to do something for Jesus. I want to do something uh, for people uh, that are in in um, need, that I'm willing to make mistakes in order to do that. So I'm willing to do anything, including mistakes. Okay. Uh, and I, so I think it's our it's the center on our mission, and it hasn't changed uh,
1: for years. You mentioned before that the Army is active in one hundred and thirty countries around the world. So I've seen people in uniform uh, playing brass instruments in Manhattan and in Sydney, Australia, and run into people in different places all around the world. But my understanding is that the Salvation Army is headquartered in England. How does all that work, and how does the United States relate to the work of the Army in these other 129 countries?
2: Yeah, the Salvation Army is headquartered in London, England, and we have... uh, have uh, one person that's in charge of the Salvation Army. It's the general. There's one general, uh, and they serve a, a five-year term or until age 68, whichever comes first. Uh, they are elected uh, by uh, leaders around the world that hold similar positions uh, that I hold, uh, and so they they oversee uh, the the work of the Salvation Army. And then the Salvation Army is divided up into territories. In the United States, we have four. Uh, territories and each of those territories relate to London, um, and uh, and so with with programs and personnel, um, you know, London will call and they will do through consultation be able to either transfer people or if there's needs around the world, those needs will be communicated. It wouldn't come as any surprise to you that funding for uh, the developing part of the world up to seventy percent of the funding comes from the United States. You know. Men and women uh, donating resources here to support uh, the army's work in Africa or India or where, wherever the, the case may be. So it's it's a, it's kind of a, a organization where they're dialogued. Then our national office uh, coordinates activities that are a national in scope uh, pertaining to the United States. And then I I am um, by my appointment I am the general's uh, representative. Uh, to the United States, so when I speak, I'm actually speaking on behalf of the general. I don't say that, you know. I just usually, you know say I'm represented as the national commander of the Salvation Army, but I'm I'm literally his 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 uh, his representative uh, in this this chain or this network
1: of um, of the Salvation Army. Whether it's Americans or uh, Brits or any of these countries, how does the Salvation Army? Determine where to go and what to do. I mean, the needs are from Syria to South Sudan, from Haiti to the Bahamas, uh, in the United States. There are so many needs in so many places. You can't do everything. Right. So how do you yeah. prioritize yeah. and decide?
2: Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting because it's, there's a matrix that that they use, and the matrix, you know, is weighted uh, differently along the way. But it really comes down to um, a couple, you know, maybe three things is. Uh, is the army needed in, in that, in that uh, country? Uh, Do we have the invitation to come into the country? You know, there's some countries that will say uh, uh, to the Salvation Army, well, we would love to have your hospitals, uh, but you know, don't, don't bring in, don't bring in your religion. And we'll say, no, you know, the Salvation Army, we are what we are. You get, you get all of us or, or, you know, we just don't come. We just can't, we can't dice it up. And so if, if there's that invitation to where, yes, we can come in, and even as you would know, there's certainly some restrictions around the world when it comes to proselytizing and, and everything. But, but we have to be able to come in uh, with our faith, because if we don't come in with our faith, you know, that's our, that's our motivation. But then there also has to be some resources for, uh, for possible and probable sustainability. Uh, where we go in and we open up in a territory, uh, a a country, we want to make sure that, you know, there is a good chance that, um, that we can, uh, that we can have a sustained presence in this country for a long period of time. And so there has to be some, some resourcing and that resourcing changes from country to country. And uh, as you would know, uh, like in the United States, we live in a country that is very philanthropic, and so people, uh, is, we've just brought up part of our, our culture is to support others. While others, they have to do it through enterprise systems or or some other way to to keep uh, to keep the, the ministry going.
1: So I understand that some of the recent efforts for the Salvation Army has. Uh, Continued to focus on helping people escape long term poverty. But the, one of the things that you have used is enhanced case management. That, that's sort of a new idea for me. So I've been doing some reading about it, but you can probably talk more about it better than I can. Yeah, we have.
2: Uh, We've just actually instituted a new nationwide initiative uh, a couple of years ago. ago. It's called Pathway of Hope. And it was purposely uh, named Pathway of Hope. Because the one thing that, um, if you, when people think about it, um, that w- shouldn't come as a surprise is uh, poverty robs people of hope. They have no hope that tomorrow can be a better, better day, and so sometimes there, there can be almost an attitude: of, "Well, why try?" Because uh, it's not going to. It doesn't make a difference, and uh, and so we do intense case management that's uniquely tailored to each individual family because every family is different and their needs are different. And so we go and we do an assessment of, we do actually do a measurement. There's actually an outcome based scale on hope and we measure their hope. We do an assets uh, inventory of what they have. And then we try and talk to them about other assets that can come alongside. And we have, case managers that work with people along the way. And so with an individual family, it could be that they need to have education. Another one, it just may need, they just need to have a job. Other ones, it may need that they had to have reliable daycare or whatever the case may be. And then along the way, we help them with some of the essentials they need, whether that may be utility assistance or, or food or rent assistance or networking them in with partner agencies in, in that area where they can um, gain more assets, where they can get maybe more long-term things going along with them in order to uh, give, give themselves um, an opportunity to increase their skill uh make, uh, save money to make the uh, initial deposit on a uh, you know, new place to stay. And so we've, uh, just tremendous, tremendous, uh, uh, traction on this program. And we have a couple nationwide partners. Uh, one of them is based in uh, your areas, Margaret Cargill. Uh, they certainly have been key supporters. And then another one has just been phenomenal, not just in this, but in so many areas, which is, I, I also know as a partner of NAE and that's uh Lily and, uh, they, they have got behind these programs because one thing we've discussed and we, we've realized, and we've known it for some time, but one of the leading causes of poverty is poverty. And uh, the statistics show that a child that is brought up in poverty has something like a 30 times a percent chance of uh, being in poverty than somebody that's not. Uh, and so the, perp- the goal of this program is to break that chain of in- intergenerational poverty.
1: In addition to all the amazing work that the Army does in social services, uh, the Salvation Army is also a Christian denomination, actually one of the member uh, denominations of NAE. Mm -hmm. The Salvation Army, in my terminology, would be identified as uh, being in the Wesleyan holiness tradition of evangelicalism. Mm -hmm. Am I right on this? Is that a good description? And are there other theological distinctions that, that you would mention?
2: Well I think you know uh you know as we talked uh, earlier though is about the social passion um you know uh it was Wesley that says there's no holiness but social holiness um, and you know i've heard i wish i you know I hear a lot of great sayings i have never coined any i am never you know I'm never the author of any of them but i I just uh repeat it over and over is you know the need is the call and uh And so uh, I just see um, us as uh, maybe a a Wesleyan Holiness Church uh, on on uh, social steroids, where Mm -hmm. we really, really believe that we are uh, we are called to make a a difference in people's lives, not just in the and I'm not minimizing the spiritual significance in uh, changing people's lives, not at all. That's what it's about. But also in their in their their physical well being, uh, and you know it's it's interesting. You know Jesus said, you know how will you how will you folks talking to his disciples be recognized? Well, it comes down by your love, and it's by the love that we are to show and to be uh, uh, to demonstrate to other people. One of the things that grieves me today is the church seems to be known more about what we are against, uh, today. And, and I'm not laying blame on anybody's feet. You know, there's enough blame to go around, but Jesus, you know, he said, it's, it's not by our do's and our don'ts that we need to be known for. It's about your love. You know, Paul says the only thing that matters is faith motivated by love. And, and so I just see that as a real strong overt, Uh, emphasis. And again, it's not saying that others don't have it, but I think that's kind of in the DNA of the Salvation Army, maybe just a little bit more obvious because of our intense uh, social programs.
1: For those outside of the Salvation Army, um, you you use some terminology that most don't use. So you have officers, you have soldiers, um, you have a corps. Uh, uh, Talk about some of these things Especially, uh, what's the difference between an officer and a soldier, and are there certain roles that some can fill and not others?
2: Yeah, uh, well, an officer is an ordained uh, is an ordained minister in the Salvation Army, mm-hmm. and a soldier is a member uh, of the Salvation Army Corps or Church. That is, uh, that has they want to be uniform wearing, or not all soldiers are uniform wearing, but they, they. Um, they agreed to live a disciplined lifestyle uh, that, uh, you know, is, is compatible with the mission of the Salvation Army. Uh, and uh, by that, I mean that we serve a lot of people on the fringes. And so one of the things a soldier uh, has said that I want, I want to uh, align myself with the Salvation Army in these disciplines is one of the things that I, I don't do is I don't drink. And it's not that I necessarily believe that drinking is wrong. But when we're dealing with people on a regular basis, and a lot of people in our churches or core have had lifelong addiction with alcohol, the last thing they need to be around is alcohol. And so a soldier says, "Well, I want to, I want to, uh, I want to identify with that." And so, so that's a delineation. But we have other members of the Salvation Army that are just like members of any other the uh, other church. Corps can just be simply uh, translated as church. It's a, it's a military you know, uh, terminology as far as positions. Yeah. There's some positions that are held ex- exclusively by officers, but we do have, uh, certain positions that, you know, we say are traditionally held by officers that, uh, employees or soldiers employees that are soldiers can have. And we give them the rank in some places are called sergeants. Other places are called envoys. And so they're fulfilling these ministry ranks, uh, ministry positions. And so we give them uh, a rank that they can be identified uh, as well. But that's that's basically the distinction.
1: All right. So officers and soldiers uh, all need to be salvationists. They need to be people of faith and agree with the doctrine of the Salvation Mm -hmm. Army. But you employ 65,000 people. Uh, I assume that they're not all salvationists, and there are people that have, uh, you know, lots of variety. Is that correct? Yeah,
2: absolutely. Basically, you pit. You, what we should be is we should be uh, in our employee force uh, a representative of the community we serve. So we literally have people from every every aspect of the community you can imagine. The question they we ask them is the salvation army is unashamedly christian um you know if uh, most of our headquarters there's chapels every week you know we begin meetings all meetings with prayer we talk about our faith if you go through our buildings you're going to see messaging on faith and on redemption our mission as i said before is to preach the gospel of jesus christ and to meet human need in his name without discrimination So we ask them the question, can you serve in such an organization and can you support our mission? And if the answer is no, then, you know, they're not going to be a good fit for us. Uh, They will not be happy. They're going to struggle. We're going to struggle. The people we serve will struggle. But if they say, yes, I can support that mission and I will do everything in my ability to advance that mission. uh, We that's the litmus test now we certainly do other things we do background checks and whatever to bring people on and then we do have some positions that if they're directly in ministry areas you know leading uh ministry groups or whatever then then you know they they kind of cross over and then they have to uh adhere to uh our our, our you know our faith principles because again uh, why would they want to be teaching or why would they you know why would we want them to if they simply don't agree? And so there may be certain, certain ones that we have a, a secondary litmus test, but for the vast majority, it's uh, the question is, can you support and will you support this mission wholeheartedly?
1: Let's go back to talking about a local core and how that would be similar to a local church and other mm-hmm. denominations and traditions. So what would, I or others experience at uh, on a Sunday morning at a core, what, what would be similar or different from other churches? Boy, well, you know, it's
2: interesting. I, I guess I would say it depends on which one you go to. I mean, uh, people often ask me, what's a traditional Salvation Army Corps And I say, boy, you know, you got me. I don't think there is such a thing as a traditional Salvation Army core church anymore. But you would have some, you know, the, the church I go to or core in Alexandria, Virginia. One thing that we have that others probably would not have is we have a brass band that uh, very, very good. Uh, they, they play for uh, uh, several of the congregational songs. There may be some where it's just the piano. Uh, they, uh, during the offering uh, where some churches may have an organ, uh, we, the band would probably play an offertory or may play an offertory. So there would be that difference. Uh, Certainly when you go in and you see people wearing the Salvation Army uniform, not all. I mean, um, the one I go to is probably, I would say off the top of my head, maybe 35, 40% of the people are wearing uniform. Uh, That would certainly be different uh, than than, um, uh, most of the other churches. But other than that, for the most part, uh, the songs that we sing, whether they're traditional uh, hymns or uh, contemporary praise and worship songs uh, you know you would they would they would probably know 80 or 90 percent of them this so yeah that's we sing that in our church so there'd be similarity to that uh, so that, that'd be kind of the uh, more obvious differences there may be some other subtle differences terminology uh, I try to not use uh, the internal terminology because I you almost have to come with subtitles. Uh, and, um, and so, uh, but there may be, if somebody visited, they may throw out a, a terminology like firing or firing their cartridge. That means uh, giving your tithe. Uh, so there may be some, wow, well, I didn't know guns were allowed in here and they're not, but uh, what in the world, what in the world is that? So,
1: well, every just, dis- every tradition has its own distinctive words. One of the yeah. You know, main characteristics that many people think of is when I walk into a room and I see someone with a Salvation Army uniform on, I know there is an officer or there is a soldier. So um, let's just imagine for a moment someone who is listening who can't, off the top of their heads, remember what a Salvation Army uniform looks like how would you describe it but i'm really interested in what some of your experiences have been wearing the uniform i mean do people salute you do they come up and talk to you how does this work yeah yeah well the Army uniform
2: would be it's uh in the united states they vary around the world because of weather uh, it's uh it's a dark dark blue some people think it's almost a black and there's a uh, what we call epaulettes on the um uh, on the shoulders and there's an insignia for officers and if you know how to read the insignia you would be able to tell the rank of the officer and there's uh s's on each of the lapels and the s's you know i've often asked what do the s's stand for and there's you, there's a number of things a lot of times it's salvation sometimes it's saved to serve others people say no it's saved to save uh and then if it's red, if there's red on the uniform, uh, on the uh, epaulet and on the lapel, uh, that would signify an officer. And if it's blue, it would signify a soldier. So that's kind of um, a little bit on the uniform. And then, yeah, it's interesting when I travel, um, you know, it's, it's the exception when I go to the airport that I don't have somebody come up that recognizes the uniform. And they often say, I have uh, my Salvation Army story. And they will tell their story. Uh, one that well, just uh, not long ago where my wife was walking to the restroom and a lady stopped her and uh, toward the back of the plane and uh, said Salvation Army. Uh, and she was from Phoenix. And she told the story that uh, she had a family member out front of her uh, House and there was a drive-by, and there was a shooting, and her family member was shot and killed. And to make matters worse, the landlord, when they found out about it, they evicted the family because they didn't want the stigma damage on the property. And uh, she said we didn't know where to go, and they turned to the Salvation Army. The Salvation Army provided them a place to stay. Salvation Army provided them with a uh, with furniture for their house. And then provided them with um, grief counseling, and so when my wife told me the story, I, I stood out uh, on, on on you know at the end of the jet bridge and waited for her to come because so I wanted I wanted to greet her and I wanted to meet her, and I asked her to tell me her story again. She told me her story, and then she said to me, "Thank you for listening to my story," and I, everything in me I, I just wanted to break down and weep that time. Uh, this is about her and her resilience and uh, and and God working some tremendous ways in her life that I can never fully understand. And if I wasn't wearing the uniform and my wife wasn't wearing the uniform, we would have never met that lady and never heard her story. I told my wife I want to write uh, kind of a series of little articles when I retire, maybe titled something like, uh, It Happened Along the Way and just unique stories of people that we have been so blessed to meet and they have trusted us enough to share their story with us and we have blessed maybe just a little bit uh, to have an impact on their life i'm thanked every day for the work of other people and my prayer is someday some way uh, somehow somebody that i will never meet is thanked for something that i happen to do in somebody's life but that's the power of the uniform Uh, and the recognition that people have for it, and I think uh, the appreciation that a lot of people have for it.
1: Well, my friend David, uh, I can think of about 200 more questions I'd like to ask you, but our uh, time is coming to the end. You had said earlier that you uh, have a greater intensity of love for the Salvation Army and all that it does, and I can hear it and feel it, and that's just great, so thank you. Our guest on today's conversation has been David Hudson, National Commander of the Salvation Army USA. I'm Leith Anderson, and on behalf of us all, very special thanks to Commissioner Hudson.
0: The National Association of Evangelicals is where we use influence for good. Today's conversation is one of many ways we connect and represent evangelical Christians in the United States. To discover more NAE topics and resources for you and your church, please follow along on Twitter at NAEvangelicals or on our Facebook page for the National Association of Evangelicals and sign up for our email list when you visit our website at NAE.net.